Chapter Two A of the Everyday Life of Abraham Lincoln. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Everyday Life of Abraham Lincoln by Francis Fisher Brown. Chapter Two A. A Turn in Affairs, The Black Hawk War, A Remarkable Military Maneuver, Lincoln Protects an Indian, Lincoln and Stuart, Lincoln's Military Record, Nominated for the Legislature, Lincoln a Merchant, Postmaster at New Salem. The spring of 1832 brought a new turn in Lincoln's career. The year had been one of great advancement in many respects. He had made new and valuable acquaintances, read many books, mastered the grammar of his own tongue, won a multitude of friends. Those who could appreciate intelligence and character respected him, and those whose highest ideas of a man related to his physical prowess were devoted to him. Everyone trusted him. He was judge, arbitrator, referee, authority in all disputes, games, and matches, whether of man-flesh or horse-flesh. He was the peacemaker in all quarrels. He was everybody's friend. The best-natured, most sensible, best-informed, most modest, unassuming, kindest, gentlest, roughest, strongest, best young fellow in all New Salem or the region about. But Mr. Offutt's trading enterprises ended disastrously in the year 1832. The store was closed, the mill was shut down, and Lincoln was out of business. At the very moment, however, that he found himself adrift, Illinois was filled with excitement over the Black Hawk War. The center of alarm was in the Rock Valley, in the northern part of the state, which had been formerly the home of the Sac tribe of Indians. Discontented with their life on the reservation west of the Mississippi, to which they had been removed, the Sacs, with several other tribes, resolved to recover their old hunting-grounds. The warlike chief, Black Hawk, was at the head of the revolt and his march toward the Rock River was signalized by a number of massacres. Governor Reynolds of Illinois issued a proclamation calling for volunteers to aid the regular troops in the emergency. Lincoln was one of the first to answer the call, the brave Clary Grove boys also coming promptly to the rescue. The volunteers gathered, writes Mr. Arnold, at Rushville, in Schuyler County, at which place they were to be organized and elected officers. Lincoln was a candidate for the place of captain, and in opposition to him was one William Kirkpatrick. The mode of election was novel. By agreement each candidate walked off to some distance and took position by himself. The men were then to form, and those who voted for Kirkpatrick were to range on a line with their candidate. When the lines were formed, Lincoln's was three times as long as that of Kirkpatrick, and so Lincoln was declared elected. Speaking of this affair when President, he said that he was more gratified with this, his first success, than with any other election of his life. Neither Lincoln nor his company was in any engagement during the campaign, but there was plenty of hardship and fatigue, and some incidents occurred to illustrate his courage and power over men. Many years afterward, in fact while Lincoln was President, he referred to those early scenes in a way that illustrates his wonderful memory and his power of recalling the minutest incidents of his past life. Meeting an old Illinois friend, he naturally fell to talking of Illinois, and related several stories of his early life in that region. Particularly, he remembered his share in the Black Hawk War. He referred to his part of the campaign lightly, and said that he saw but very little fighting. 
but he remembered coming on a camp of white scouts one morning just as the sun was rising the indians had surprised the camp and killed and scalped every man i remember just how those men looked said lincoln as we rode up the little hill where their camp was the red light of the morning sun was streaming upon them as they lay heads toward us on the ground and every man had a round red spot on the top of his head about as big as a dollar where the redskins had taken his scalp it was frightful but it was grotesque and the red sunlight seemed to paint everything all over lincoln paused as if recalling the vivid picture and added somewhat irrelevantly i remember that one man had buckskin breeches on lincoln also told a good story of his first experience in drilling raw troops during the black hawk war he was crossing a field with a front of twenty men when he came to a gate through which it was necessary to pass. In describing the incident, he said, I could not, for the life of me, remember the proper word of command for getting my company endwise, so that it could pass through the gate. So as we came near the gate, I shouted, Halt! This company is dismissed for two minutes, when it will fall in again on the other side of the gate. The maneuver was successfully executed. During this campaign an incident occurred which well serves to show Lincoln's keen sense of justice, his great common sense, and his resoluteness when aroused. One day there came to the camp an old Indian, footsore and hungry. He was provided with a letter of safe conduct from General Cass. But there was a feeling of great irritation against the Indians, and the men objected strongly to receiving him. They pronounced him a spy, and his passport a forgery, and were rushing upon the defenseless Indian to kill him when the tall figure of their captain, Lincoln, suddenly appeared between them and their victim. His men had never seen him so aroused, and they cowed before him. "'Men,' said he, "'this must not be done. He must not be killed by us.' His voice and manner produced an effect on the mob. They paused, listened, fell back, and sullenly obeyed him, although there were still some murmurs of disappointed rage. At length one man, probably thinking he spoke for the crowd, cried out, "'This is cowardly on your part, Lincoln!' Lincoln only gazed with contempt on the men who would have murdered one unarmed Indian, but who quailed before his single hand. "'If any man thinks I am a coward,' he said, "'let him test it.' "'Lincoln,' was the reply, "'you are larger and heavier than any of us.' "'That you can guard against,' responded the captain. "'Choose your weapons.' The insubordination ended, and the word coward was never associated with Lincoln's name again. He afterward said that at this time he felt that his life and character were both at stake, and would probably have been lost had he not at the supreme moment forgotten the officer and asserted the man. His men could hardly have been called soldiers. They were merely armed citizens, with a military organization in name only. Had he ordered them under arrest, he would have created a serious mutiny and to have them tried and punished would have been impossible. It was while Lincoln was a militia captain that he made the acquaintance of a man who was destined to have an important influence on his life. This was Major John T. Stewart, afterwards his law partner. Stewart was already a lawyer by profession. During the Black Hawk War he commanded one of the Sangamon County companies, and was soon afterward elected major of a spy battalion formed from some of these companies. He had the best of opportunities at this time to observe the merits of Captain Lincoln, 
and testifies that the latter was exceedingly popular among the soldiers on account of his excellent care of the men in his command his never-failing good nature and his ability to tell more stories and better ones than any man in the service he was popular also among these hardy men on account of his great physical strength for several years after the black hawk war lincoln retained his military title and was usually addressed as captain lincoln but this in time was discontinued stuart's title of major on the contrary adhered to him through life he was best known as major stuart down to the time of his death which occurred early in the winter of eighteen eighty six the time for which captain lincoln's company enlisted soon ran by but the trouble with the indians not being ended governor reynolds called for a second body of volunteers lincoln again responded and was enrolled as a private in the independent company commanded by elijah isles of springfield a note of this occurrence made in eighteen sixty eight by captain isles contains the following statement the term of governor reynolds's first call being about to expire he made a second call and the first levy was disbanded I was elected a captain of one of the companies. We were mustered into service on the twenty-ninth of May, 1832, at the mouth of Fox River, now Ottawa, by Lieutenant Robert Anderson, Assistant Inspector General in the United States Army. One day during the Black Hawk War, there were in the camp on Rock River four men afterward famed in the history of the country. It was while Lincoln was a member of the company under command of Captain Isles. These men were Lieutenant Colonel Zachary Taylor, Lieutenant Jefferson Davis, Lieutenant Robert Anderson, and Private Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln and Anderson did not meet again until 1861, after the latter had evacuated Fort Sumter. Major Anderson then visited Washington and called at the White House to pay his respects to the President. After having expressed his thanks to Anderson for his conduct in South Carolina, Lincoln said, Major, do you remember ever meeting me before no mr president i do not remember having had the pleasure before said anderson well said lincoln my memory is better than yours you mustered me into the service of the united states in eighteen thirty two at dixon's ferry during the black hawk war lincoln displayed the same courage and fidelity in performing the duties of a soldier that had marked his conduct in all other relations of life father dixon the guide who was attached to captain isles's company of mounted rangers remarks that in their marches when scouts were sent forward to examine thickets and ravines in which it was thought the enemy might be lurking it often became necessary for many of the men to dismount and attend to their riding gear whenever lincoln was detailed for such service however his saddle was always in order during the contest between general lewis cass and general zachary taylor for the presidency in the year eighteen forty eight lincoln made a speech in congress in which he referred to his services in the black hawk war with characteristic humor by the way mr speaker he said did you know that i am a military hero yes sir in the days of the black hawk war i fought bled and came away speaking of general cass's career reminds me of my own i was not at stillman's defeat but i was about as near it as cass was to hull's surrender and like him i saw the place very soon afterwards it is quite certain that i did not break my sword for i had none to break but i bent my musket pretty badly on one occasion 
If Cass broke his sword, the idea is that he broke it in desperation. I bent my musket by accident. If General Cass went ahead of me in picking whortleberries, I guess I surpassed him in charges upon the wild onions. If he saw any live fighting Indians, it is more than I did. But I had a good many bloody struggles with the mosquitoes, and although I never fainted from loss of blood, I can truly say that I was often very hungry. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, if I should ever conclude to doff whatever our Democratic friends may suppose there is in me of black cockade federalism, and thereupon they shall take me up as their candidate for the presidency, I protest they shall not make fun of me as they have of General Cass, by attempting to write me into a military hero. Lincoln's popularity among his comrades in the field was so great that at the close of his military service, which had lasted three months, he was nominated as a candidate for the state legislature. His first appearance on the stump in the course of the canvass was at Pappsville, about eleven miles west of Springfield, upon the occasion of a public sale. The sale over, speech-making was about to begin, when Lincoln observed some strong symptoms of inattention in his audience which had taken that particular moment to engage in a general fight. Lincoln saw that one of his friends was suffering more than he liked, and stepping into the crowd he shouldered them sternly away from his man until he met a fellow who refused to fall back. Him he seized by the nape of the neck and the seat of his breeches, and tossed him ten or twelve feet easily. After this episode, as characteristic of him as of the times, he mounted the platform and delivered with awkward modesty the following speech. "'Gentlemen, and fellow-citizens, I presume you all know who I am. I am humble Abraham Lincoln. I have been solicited by my friends to become a candidate for the legislature. My politics are short and sweet, like the old woman's dance.' I am in favor of a national bank. I am in favor of the internal improvement system and a high protective tariff. These are my sentiments and political principles. If elected, I shall be thankful. If not, it will be all the same." Lincoln's friend, Mr. A. Y. Ellis, who was with him during a part of this campaign, says, he wore a mixed jeans coat, claw-hammer style, short in the sleeves and bobtail. In fact, it was so short in the tail that he could not sit down on it. Flax and tow-linen pantaloons and a straw hat. I think he wore a vest, but I do not remember how it looked. He wore pot-metal boots. I went with him on one of his electioneering trips to Island Grove, and he made a speech which pleased his party friends very well, although some of the Jackson men tried to make sport of it. He told several good anecdotes in the speech, and applied them very well, I thought. The election took place in August, and although Lincoln was defeated, he received 277 out of 284 votes cast in his precincts. He was so little known outside of New Salem, that the chances of election were hopelessly against him. Yet the extraordinary evidence of favor shown by the vote of his fellow townsmen was a flattering success in the midst of defeat. His failure to be elected, however, left him once more without occupation. He was without means, and felt the necessity of undertaking some business that would provide him an income, however small. It seems that at this time he considered seriously learning the blacksmith's trade. But while entertaining the idea, an event occurred which opened the way in another direction. The particulars of this event are given by Mr. W. G. Green. A man named Reuben Radford, says Mr. Green, 
was the keeper of a small store in the village of New Salem. A friend told him to look out for the Clary Grove boys, or they would smash him up. He said he was not afraid. He was a great big fellow, but his friend said, They don't come alone. If one can't whip you, two or three can, and they'll do it. One day he left his store in charge of his brother, with injunctions that if the Clary Grove boys came, he must not let them have more than two drinks apiece. All the stores in those days kept liquor to sell, and had a corner for drinking. The store was nicely fitted up, and had many things in glass jars nicely labeled. The Clary Grove boys came, and took two drinks each. The clerk refused them any more as politely as he could. Then they went behind the counter and helped themselves. They got roaring drunk, and went to work smashing everything in the store. The fragments on the floor were an inch deep. They left and went off on their horses whooping and yelling. Coming across some herds of cattle, they took the bells from their necks, fastened them to the tails of the leaders, and chased them over the country yelling like mad. Radford heard them, and, mounting his horse, rode in hot haste to the store. I had been sent that morning with grist to the mill, and had to pass the store. I saw Radford ride up, his horse a lather of foam. He dismounted, and looked in upon the wreck through the open door. He was aghast at the sight, and said, I'll sell out this thing to the first man that comes along. I rode up and said, I'll give you four hundred dollars for it. Done, said he. But, I said, I have no money. I must have time. How much? Six months. Agreed. He drew up a note for four hundred dollars at six months, and I signed it. I began to think I was stuck. Then the boys came in, and among them was Lincoln. Cheer up, Billy, he said. It's a good thing. We'll take an inventory. No more inventories for me," said I, not knowing what he meant. He explained that we should take an account of stock to see how much was left. We found that it amounted to about twelve hundred dollars. Lincoln and Barry consulted over it, and offered me two hundred and fifty dollars for my bargain. I accepted, stipulating that they should assume my notes. Barry was a wild fellow, a gambler. He had a fine horse, with a splendid saddle and bridle. He turned over the horse as part pay. Lincoln let Barry run the store, and it soon ran out. I had to pay the note. Lincoln said he would pay it some day, and did, with interest. This ended Lincoln's brief career as a country merchant. Many of the anecdotes in the foregoing pages touch upon Lincoln's ambition to fit himself for a public speaker. Even at this early day the settlers in New Salem were infected with the general desire to join in the march toward intellectual improvement. To aid in this object they had established a club entitled the New Salem Literary Society. Before this association the studious Lincoln was invited to speak. Mr. R. B. Rutledge, the brother of Ann Rutledge, says of the event, About the year 1832 or 1833 Mr. Lincoln made his first effort at public speaking. A debating club, of which James Rutledge was president, was organized and held regular meetings. As Lincoln arose to speak, his tall form towered above the little assembly. Both hands were thrust down deep in the pockets of his pantaloons. A perceptible smile at once lit up the faces of the audience, for all anticipated the relation of some humorous story. But he opened up the discussion in splendid style, to the infinite astonishment of his friends. As he warmed with his subject, his hands would forsake his pockets, and enforce his ideas by awkward gestures, but would very soon seek their easy resting-places. He pursued the question with reason and argument so pithy and forcible that all were amazed. 
The President, after the meeting, remarked to his wife that there was more in Abe's head than wit and fun, that he was already a fine speaker, that all he lacked was culture to enable him to reach the high destiny which he knew was in store for him. On the 7th of May, 1833, Lincoln was appointed postmaster at New Salem by President Jackson. The duties of the position were light, there being only a weekly mail, and the remuneration was correspondingly small. The office was too insignificant to be considered politically, and it was given to the young man because everybody liked him, and because it was the only man willing to take it, who could make out the returns. He was exceedingly pleased with the appointment, because it gave him a chance to read every newspaper that was taken in the vicinity. He had never been able to get half the newspapers he wanted, and the office gave him the prospect of a constant feast. Not wishing to be tied to the office, as it yielded him no revenue that would reward him for the confinement, he made a post-office of his hat. Whenever he went out, the letters were placed in his hat. When an anxious looker for a letter met the postmaster, he found also the post-office and the public official, taking off his hat, looked over and delivered the mail wherever the public might find him. He kept the office until it was discontinued, or was removed to Petersburg. End of chapter 2a. Recording by Bill Borst.